from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay. And uh, initially, this was going to be a three-person podcast, uh, but uh, our buddy Corbin Ford is uh, having some car difficulties this evening, so uh, he will not be joining. But uh, rest assured, Corbin will be uh, appearing on this podcast in the very near future. We love the guy. Uh, but uh, I have a uh, so instead of it being a three-person pod, it'll just be a two a two-man pod, and I've got a very special man to to join me tonight, a first-time guest on the program you can find him on twitter at two red j earl that's url josh earl josh how you doing i'm doing well tired from you know entertaining a three-month-old for the past two days straight but uh you know i'm good man and thank you for having me on it's always nice to you know kind of dip my feet into other podcasts and stuff and i appreciate it yeah and uh we, we did a, a three-man pod with the aforementioned uh, corbin ford on his podcast uh, round ball ramble talking about the the trade deadline moves and that was really fun so i uh, figured we, we got to get you on here as well and uh, for for this episode we're going to be talking about the sacramento kings Currently, uh, they are 32 and 25 heading into the All Star break. They're third in the Western Conference standings, second in offensive rating, and 23rd in defensive rating, ninth in uh, the NBA in point differential at plus 1.8. And uh, their final game before the All Star break, they ended up losing to the Phoenix Suns 120 109 on Tuesday. But, uh, Josh, this uh, this Kings team, of course, going through a, an extended playoff drought. Team, to put it lightly, yeah, <laughs> uh, we haven't we haven't seen this team be relevant in quite some time. But uh, you know, they're finally good and they're and they're fun again. Yeah, and I, I think the key word here is fun. Uh, like I, I was just thinking about this earlier when I, when I was kind of preparing for this podcast and, and kind of going back through the Kings history and stuff, the last time they were good, the last time they were in the playoffs, which was 16 years ago. Uh, um, the last time they were in the playoffs, they were fun. Their style of play was fun. The fans loved them. The, the players and the the staff, everybody was having a good time. And then you just have everything in between <laughs> up until, uh, you know, this year. And I, I, I think that's like an interesting element of this because 
you know, we're conditioned to believe that the NBA is a basketball business, and technically that is true. But really, the NBA is an entertainment business. And, you know, sometimes we get really good teams like the those Houston teams with James Harden where they're actually kind of a slog to watch. They're not the most fun. You're not, like, hyped to go to the game other than to, like, yeah, we're winning. And then there are some teams like, uh, you know, the seven second or less sons, the 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 early 2000s Kings, uh, you know, and, and this Kings team is one of the most fun offenses to watch in quite a while, in my opinion. Yeah, just for reference, uh, you mentioned it's been 16 years. Like Mike Bibby was a borderline all-star caliber point guard the last time the Kings were, yes. uh, were, yeah. were a playoff team. Um yeah, uh, it's it's been a while, but yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a blast, and you know, one of the other things that's been a real joy watching the team this season is just seeing the Sacramento crowd getting into yes. it. I mean, this is one of the best fan bases in the NBA, and it's just been so long since they've had anything to cheer for. Yeah, and, and I, I think they've also done a lot of interesting things to up the fun quotient, not just in terms of what's happening on the court, but like lighting the beam. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, amazingly fun. It, 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 it gives you uh, a chant to, to have the whole crowd behind you when you know, like, Hey, we're up. There's only a couple minutes left in the game. You start hearing, light the beam light the beam and then like you can see it like even if you weren't able to get tickets to the game or like oh i gotta work tonight i can't watch the game you can look out in the into the night sky and you can see the beam and you could be like yes uh like that's really really cool and uh in the locker room they've also created a defensive player of the game like gold chain basically which is a wonderful approach like it's a wonderful way to kind of incentivize good defense it's another fun element of like you know maybe my shot wasn't falling tonight but at least maybe i can get the deep hog and if i get the deep hog we're gonna have a celebration you know like uh, they've been doing a lot of stuff to make it a fun journey for the players the staff and the fans and i think that's really cool yeah and uh, i think one of the one of the things we've we've got to discuss right out of the gate and part of that change in in their culture is the hiring of mike brown as their yes coach a guy who had a ton of success in cleveland but you know was not really known as a guy who was you know, super sophisticated offensive mind. And, you know, you can, you can partially say, well, he had LeBron James. So the strategy was just give LeBron the basketball, but you know, they, they weren't running very sophisticated sets or schemes. And, you know, he then had some time with the Lakers and then most recently was an assistant with the Golden State Warriors under Steve Kerr. And I feel like that experience in particular was huge for him in terms of understanding, okay, like what the Warriors do is different offensively than basically any other team in the NBA. Yes. They don't play ISO ball. They don't do what you were talking about with the Houston Rockets, where it's just dribble, 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 
and it's kind of boring basketball. It's a lot of off ball movement. Um, nobody's stationary. There's a lot of dribble handoffs. There's a lot of split cut actions. And not only is that fun to, to watch, but as we've seen on the court this season, it's uh, very effective, especially when you have the players to execute that. Yeah. And I think it's weird because coming into this season, I don't think anybody would have necessarily considered what has kind of played out. Uh, Fox and Sabonis are both all-stars this year. Uh, Kevin Herter has gone beyond what we've seen in Atlanta, which was mostly due to how he was being utilized. Um, plus just excellent chemistry with Sabonis, uh, has kind of elevated himself into a really good third guy. Uh, Mike Brown has to be a coach of the year candidate, the way they've been playing. Um, and the way that he's kind of in almost an infectious way, uh, my mind is still on like the last of us. He's almost like a fun fungus like spreading <laughs> spreading joy through the the team and the organization um and, and who would have thought monty mcnair would have a shot at executive of the year heading into this past offseason um especially considering the backlash against the halliburton sabonis trade which we can we can relitigate that right now if you want i think both of us are probably halliburton guys yeah. um I, I, yeah I, i'm a big halliburton guy but I do, I do firmly believe that sometimes to win a trade, you don't necessarily have to acquire the most talented guy or, or quote unquote, the, the guy with the highest potential or however you want to term it, the best guy. Um, if you, the piece that you get or the pieces that you get elevate the pieces you already have. And so I think if we were talking in a vacuum Halliburton over Sabonis, who would you start like an expansion franchise with? You go Halliburton. Uh, he's younger. Uh, he He's, you know, really, really good at his age. He's already like leading the league in assists. He's now a 20 point per game scorer and all-star as well. Um, but if you have the team that Monty McNair had with De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, both of them are point guards. And yes, you can kind of play either of them off the ball a little bit, but that's not really optimizing them both. Bringing in Sabonis is so synergistic with Fox that you have to look at it instead of from a Halliburton versus Sabonis. It's uh, what the Pacers got versus Sabonis and what that's like boosted Fox to. Um, and I think oftentimes we don't really look at trades that way. We're trying to look at it just the player a versus player B. And it's really supposed to be impact on team a versus impact on team B. Um, and honestly, this might be the best win-win trade in quite a while that I can think of. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating debate because, yeah, at the time I was very much in favor of like what the Pacers did. And still for them, I think it was a brilliant move to, you know, even though, yeah, Sabonis now three-time All-Star to get a guy in Halliburton who, you know, up to this point is like in the All-NBA conversation and he's super young and uh, he's, he's hopefully they're going to be able to have him long-term. Um, but yeah, the what you're talking about where, Sabonis has 
in a lot of ways helped Fox with his screen setting, with his rolling to the rim, with, you know, being a threat on the other side of that pick and roll. And the fact that they're both left-handed, I think, has been something that I yes. think helps, helps them uh, be be very successful together. But, the end, you know, the, the, uh, the devil's advocate would say, though, that, like, we've seen Fox have great seasons in the past, even without Sabonis. And was it just a matter of he had a couple of rough years and he would get to this point anyway? It's an interesting it's an interesting question. Um, but but absolutely, the the on court fit has been fantastic. And not only just again with with Fox and Sabonis, but with um, with Keegan Murray fitting in there as a as a four that can set those screens and then hit those movement three-point shots. And Kevin Herter and Malik Monk, those those acquisitions to be a guy that can can hit those movement shots and also can take those dribble handoffs and make a play as well. It's it's fascinating what Mike Brown has done. And and this was a this was something Ben Taylor mentioned on a thinking basketball video where DeMontis Sabonis has sort of acted like the Draymond Green in the Warriors okay. system. And then Mike Brown has also recognized, well, De'Aaron Fox is a lightning rod. We need to get him out. We need we need to run like crazy. So they've done that. <laughs> and then we also we need to add shooting and use those threats and the fact that we've got good passing bigs to, um, you know, in this in similar ways to how the Warriors used like Steph and Clay. Yep. And it's all sort of it's all sort of melded together and has built a truly elite offense. Yeah. And I, I have to give Monty McNair credit because heading into what was at, at the time a lame duck season for him. Um, he has since gotten uh, an extension, but uh, at the time heading into this off season, you're looking at it and you're like, yeah, Fox and Sabonis, they play really well together. And like Harrison Barnes is like a pretty good veteran wing. What else do you do there, though? And I, I think first they 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 selected Keegan Murray instead of Jaden Ivey. A lot of people were pushing for Ivey there, even though while not to discredit anything about Ivey, he's a fantastic young player. But um the synergistic fit with Fox, not to mention with Davion Mitchell, <laughs> uh, getting like three, like four guards, <laughs> kind of like relatively consecutively draft wise is not the, not the greatest idea. Um, but Keegan, like you mentioned, not only a shooter but a movement capable shooter at his size, yeah. which. If you were to try to optimize Fox and Sabonis, you want to surround them with players who not only can shoot, but who can move, who know how to cut, who know how to relocate, who, who know how to make reads in the moment. And and then they follow that up by trading for Herder and, and signing Malik Monk uh, in the offseason. And those two guys, like you mentioned, it's not just that they're high quality shooters both off catch and shoot and movement but both of those guys can take a handoff or run a pick and roll and actually create something out of it yeah and like there's not a whole lot of guys who can do all three of those things um and, and the the synergistic fit with all of those guys around fox and sabonis has just been fantastic 
and yeah, you can see it when you watch their games, how like the difference between a team like them that has basically everyone on the floor is a threat because you'll have a Fox and Sabonis, you know, pick and roll and then Fox will get it to Sabonis and then he immediately goes into a handoff. Everything flows right into uh, right into the next step. And the defense never has a moment to relax, right? Whereas, you know, you talk about like other great offenses like that seven seconds or less Suns team, like in the half court, it would be Steve Nash runs a pick and roll. If it doesn't work, then like he goes and gets the ball and then sets and then they run another one. But Mm -hmm. defense gets a few seconds even there to just relax and take a breath and always kind of be focused on one side or one action. Um, whereas yeah, with this team, it's constant movement going from side to side and yeah, the defense never really knows where the next attack is going to come from. That, that's interesting because a- another thing that I find, uh, amazing about this team is how much, uh, they try to push, uh, and, and try to get those transition looks, try to get those early offense looks. And what you were just discussing made me think, Maybe we sometimes consider pace in a short-sighted way. Like, obviously, there's pace in terms of how quickly you're getting into your offense and getting into your looks and stuff. But what if we look at pace as somewhat of a reflection of how consistently active we're keeping the defense during a possession? Yes. And if we were to look at it from that perspective, this team is probably one of the best, if not the best in the league right now um outside of maybe the dubs when they're really clicking um at kind of that half court pace like like you said it's constantly flowing if one option is not here we're already we're already going it's decisive it's classic 2014 summertime spurs 0.5 second decision making of you know Okay, here's what the defense is saying. Okay, we're going to pivot and we're going to do this. Oh, that's not working. We're going to do this. Like, And there's no, okay, let's reset. Let's try to do just an ISO or pick and roll. Like, no, it engages everybody on the court, which again gets back to that fun that everybody's having. Like, As a player, it can get really boring and kind of disappointing if you're just stationed in the corner all the time. You know, or you're stationed in the dunker spot. All of the Kings players have an opportunity to impact each offensive possession. And you can't say that about most teams. Right. And, you know, the, the stats reflect a lot of what you're talking about there. Uh, they're fifth in transition frequency, first after live rebounds. So after an offensive rebound, I think part of that is just Sabonis' ability to get it and go. Yeah, um, but then like even in the half court, they're still incredibly effective. They're third in half court offense. So uh, this team is just pretty much elite at every element of uh, of the offensive game. And you know, you talk about a guy like we haven't mentioned yet, Harrison Barnes. I think something that he sort of incorporates into the offense or adds to the offense is the idea of like getting to the free throw line. That's something that he's built up the last couple of years. He's one of the best guys at drawing shooting fouls. So the Kings take eight more free throws per hundred possessions when Barnes is on the court. So, you know, you've got Fox and Sabonis, obviously Fox is the head of the snake. He's igniting a lot of transition stuff. He's also, your main half-court creator. You've got Sabonis, who's getting you from one side to the other, and he's also an outlet. 
Then you've got Keegan Murray and uh, Kevin Herter as the movement shooters. And you've got Harrison Barnes as more of a stationary shooter, but also a guy that can create and draw fouls as well. So um, everybody seemingly, all five guys in that starting lineup fit a role, fill a need, and do something that objectively makes them a better basketball team. Yeah, and the the other team that I've seen, at least when Jokic is on the floor, uh, the other team that's been kind of putting up historic offensive numbers, and I'm noting, I'm saying when Jokic is on the floor. When yeah. Jokic is not on the floor, this is not accurate. But when Jokic plays on the court, basically with almost anybody else, he's putting up like historic NBA team offense level uh, per- performances for the team. Um, and the thing that works for both of these teams is that, that decision-making, that decisiveness, the, none of these players are, you know, like they're, they're maximizing and they're boosting any advantage that's created against the defense. They're not, you know, the ball gets swung and I'm just going to jab step three times before I do anything. Nope. The ball, as the ball is coming to me, I'm reading the defense and I know, okay, I'm driving, uh, I'm passing or I'm shooting. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's interesting because it creates this almost highly complex improvisational chaotic offensive system in, in a way, but it's all built on very simplistic principles of, you know, in this situation, I have X number of reads and whatever the defense gives me, that's what I do. And then the next stage of this possession, we're going to make those same reads in that situation. And and it creates this really beautiful, chaotic um, kind of uh, in the moment offense that, you can't really as a defense prepare for too much because the offense doesn't even know exactly what's going to happen. Like it's not a super scripted play where like, it's almost like um, the, those martial arts systems that are very based on like getting into a set position first before the contact and conflict happens versus like Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do, which is like, we're going to go with it. We're, we're going to like, you know, use what's happening and we're, we're going to go with it and, and try to be fluid and, and adjust as we go. And I, I just love that we're seeing, you know, more and more uh, examples of that kind of consistent um, kind of, improvisational flowy offense well and yeah that gets back to you know giving credit to monty mcnair just for having guys like herder monk even like a terrence davis who's been playing well as of late um that are those guys that are getting the ball on the second side and making a play like if you have a you know i i like Danny Green, I like a Reggie Bullock, but those guys just aren't. They're going to catch it and shoot or just pass it off. And a lot of times the pass isn't necessarily the best move. The the move is if the guy's taking away your shot, dribble past him and, Mm -hmm. you know, keep the keep the ball rolling. But, yeah, the 
moving more towards kind of the defensive side of the ball, which has been a little bit more of a struggle for them. Yeah. But one of the things of having a really good offense is that it leads to a lot of times the opposition is taking the ball out of the net and, you you know, having to go up against your half court defense, you know, they're um, right now they're second in the NBA in limiting transition opportunities for their opponents. But um, given some of the limitations of DeMontis Sabonis as your defensive uh-huh. anchor, they are 26th in uh, in half-court defense right now. Yeah, so this, this is also something that, you know, uh, gets lobbed at Jokic as well. Um, you know, massive impact offensively. And I think both Sabonis and Jokic are better defenders than most people perceive them to be um demontis has uh, an impact on defense simply from how strong a defensive rebounder he is yeah uh we don't often think about that as a part of defense but that's literally ending the possession (laughs) like that that's a valuable skill set um yeah that that's going to be the tricky part for them going forward and building upon this year is I, I do think Mike Brown has got them putting way more effort than they maybe have in the past. Uh, and that goes a long way. They still would be well served to have, if not, uh, you know, some, some backline rim protection, um, at least some stronger point of attack defense that can maybe reduce the number of drives into the paint. Um, admittedly, both of those, skill sets are you know kind of rareish enough that that it can be costly to do so I, I i think i saw something where they were um and and he's not that player much anymore but still would be a solid backup uh but i know that that they supposedly went after plumley to to back up sabonis who would kind of fit somewhat offensively in a poor man's version of the the same role sabonis has and be like a solid enough rebounder and positional uh defender in terms of positioning himself if not the vertical pop athlete he used to be uh and i think they were also inquiring into matisse theibel um which you know everyone kind of rightfully so notes that he's not much offensively in in terms of what he brings to the the floor but matisse theibel is a guy who would i think fit within this king's offense in terms of cutting and relocating and at least posing enough of a threat to get him on the court. Um, so I would expect them to probably this off season, uh, like draft time and otherwise kind of target players who are a little more defensively focused while still maintaining an emphasis on decisive decision makers who can ideally shoot. Um, nice. The, the you can't always find decisive decision makers who can shoot and who are particularly adept defensively. There's a reason why Brooklyn has like almost all of those players now. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think they're a team where when they do get into the playoffs, which I, I think we both agree they're not going to slip out of the playoffs, uh, barring something. I, mean, I, I I wouldn't you know I wouldn't bet for that, but like yeah. you know they're. They're only um, two and a half games out of the eight seed, right? Or above the eight seed right now. Uh, yeah, that's that's fair, I suppose. Uh, here's hoping De'Aaron, Herter, and uh, 
Sabonis, stay healthy. <laughs> but uh, I hope I didn't just jinx them. But, uh, you know, if they do get into the playoffs, and I'm going to say when they get into the playoffs, uh, when they get into the playoffs, I think the defensive stuff is going to really be a heavily weighted for the coaching staff and, and trying to figure out how do we schematically if we can't stop them, how do we at least erect some um, bottlenecks and some speed bumps and just make it a little harder for them to get to what they exactly want? And then we're going to bet that our fa- our offense is going to beat their offense. Yeah. And you you mentioned some you already compared uh, DeMont to Sabonis to Nikola Jokic in some ways, and they are very similar players. I would just say, you know, Sabonis is just a poor man's version of Jokic on both ends of the floor. Yes. Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have similar strengths and weaknesses, you know, like um, I think I think Sabonis maybe moves his feet a little bit better than Jokic yeah. does, um, but not quite as good using his hands and, you know, have that, that general positioning that I think Jokic is so good at or so adept at. Um, but it's, it's interesting too, because when, uh, given the the limitations of Sabonis, they mostly play that same coverage that Denver uses with Jokic, where you you show high on on ball screens, kind of double the ball, and then move off of that. Uh, when Sabonis rests, they tend to maybe go into more of a conservative drop or switch schemes with uh, Chimeze Metu. But that's one of the things that's a little bit frustrating to me as someone who in the past really loved Rashawn Holmes. But a good version of Rashawn Holmes would be perfect for this team right yes, now. Yes, yes. And a few years ago, he was looking like, oh, he just signed a, what was it, like a four-year, right around $50 million deal. It looked like one of the best contracts in basketball. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, th- I feel like last year was just the season from hell for him. He had a couple of eye injuries, and he, uh, he might have gotten COVID at one point. And he's just – now he's just resigned to the bench and they, 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 he's seemingly not even capable of being in the rotation. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. And yeah, it, it makes sense that they, they, they looked at some, some upgrades at backup center at the deadline, even though they didn't pull the trigger, but yeah, speaking to their defense, I think one of the biggest issues is just, you know, the, that starting lineup has a decent amount of size, but there's yes. just no one that really like, you know, scares you as the opposite. Yeah. The, whoever you're going up against, you're like, I, I'm fine attacking this guy. You know, maybe when maybe when Fox has been locked in at moments, he's the one exception to that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, um, we can we can attack this team one on one, or you know, we can engage their pick and roll defense. And if we hit our roll man, and our center can can make a pass out of the short roll, we're going to get either a layup or a wide open three. Yeah, which is funny because another thing that I think Sabonis brings that people don't really factor in as like a defensive trait is he is one strong MFR. <laughs> like yeah. he is a really strong like like you'll see him in, in some clips where he just like easily bodies somebody out of the way that has like a wide open layup or and while I don't think teams are afraid to challenge him at the rim. It's interesting that his his strength hasn't really been utilized defensively, and I don't know if that's a DeMontis thing, if that's a coaching thing. Um, 
what have you. But I, but I feel like that might be an interesting thing to ponder if I were a member of Mike Brown's staff of like, how can we maybe utilize this in such a way? I, I think Steven Adams is a, another guy who probably is the strongest guy in the NBA. Um, just straight up picked up a seven footer and just walked him off. <laughs> um, and he has another thing where he's also a guy who's not really going to be switching. Uh, not really going to be like aggressively blitzing or, or hard hedging necessarily, but like he can still have a, a strong impact defensively. Obviously, he's more of a rim protector than uh, Sabonis, but I, I wonder if maybe there's some areas of Stephen Adams' game defensively that Sabonis can apply, um, and maybe again, I don't think we're ever really going to see this current core as like a top 10 defensive team. But if they can get into that middle third of the league with this offense, they could be really dangerous. Yeah. And speaking to like Sabonis and not being able to utilize his strength, I feel like, yeah, the the scheme plays into that because a lot of times you'll see him again, 30 feet from the basket. And he's often one of the things that I noticed with him that's a little frustrating because like I said, he doesn't have the hands or the anticipation of Jokic. When when guys are dribbling and drawing him away and then making a pass, he's almost always jumping in the air to try to deflect the pass, and he's rarely ever causing a deflection. And then that leaves him about a second too late getting back to the roll man. And then by the time the guy catches it, Sabonis is either on his side or uh, you know in a position where he can't utilize that strength that you mentioned. Yep. Um. The the other interesting thing is, like, you talk about a guy, we haven't really talked much about Davion Mitchell yet, but in part yeah. he was drafted because he's got a ton of defensive talent and he's he's proven to be a pretty good defensive guard. But the offensive game for him hasn't come along like you would have hoped, so he hasn't been able to get on the floor as much. And he also, uh, again, I think we talk about them struggling defensively, but they are 23rd, which is better than they've been in yeah. previous years where they were right at the, I think it was just a couple of years ago, they were one of the worst defenses in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they have actually improved and they've gotten to a point of like at least close to respectability. Um, and part of that is just having size. Part of that's competent coaching. But yeah, there's just a, there's just a need to actually get more defensive talent on the court um, yes. and and doing so without sacrificing too much of the from the offensive end, which is the challenge. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's an interesting conundrum. I, I will say, Davion has maybe my favorite defensive focused nickname, Off Night. Like <laughs> I, I love that nickname. So like the the Kings have kind of done a good job of having strong nicknames over the years like we had sauce castillo <laughs> and now and then we have like off night we have red velvet now like like they 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 they're doing good when it comes to the nicknames but but yeah i think that's that's the next key for them to elevate even further uh above what they're what they're currently doing is incorporating and they don't even have to incorporate a lot if they incorporate just a couple of players who can fit into the offensive scheme that, and they don't have to be like with, with that core group, 
you you just have to be a capable fifth option within that offense on an NBA scale to to be able to get you know enough minutes for your defense to impact. If they can get two of those guys, just two such players, whether that's you know in terms of a big rim protection or or you know perimeter uh, point of attack type defense. Um, if they can get just two of those guys in their rotation, I think they can get into that middle third defensively. And then we're talking about a totally different scale for this team than, than right now. They're a really feel good story. They're, they're a fun team to watch. They're a team that, you know, maybe depending on matchup gets out of the first round, maybe, um, but you're not really expecting them to do much more. If they can make that defense just a little bit better, all of a sudden, like, oh, that second round matchup might be interesting. You know, this is a team where if things fall in the right places in that scenario could make a conference finals or something. Um, and so I think that's where Monty's going to have to be focused with the draft and upcoming free agency and kind of trades and trying to figure out who is uh, that, that perimeter guy who is that, you know, backup big or, or um, big who can play alongside a Murray and a Sabonis in the same front court and, and provide what they need. So you're saying Kessler Edwards, isn't the answer from the trade deadline. No, <laughs> uh, Although, you know, prove me wrong, Kessler. That'd be cool. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, Yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement. This team feels like it's a couple of upgrades away from truly being in that status of um, being a team that would, you know, be favored to win a first round series or even capable of winning a couple. Um, but as far as like sort of internal growth, I feel like the guys that um, have st- still have some upside for me are, you know, we, we brought up Davion Mitchell, who's still, you know, he's, he's 24 years old. Um, and, uh, also you've got Keegan Murray. So as far as Davion, one of the things, like I was super high on Davion, uh, going into the draft, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I thought was going to be something he could rely on was the off the dribble shooting. We saw a lot of that at Baylor. Um, but it was sort of a thing where it was a big jump. He made a big leap with his shooting in the last season in college. Um, so yeah. you, you don't know how much you could rely on that. And so far, the three-point shooting has not been that great. He's shooting just 32% this season. And it's not just that he's not hitting a great percentage of them, but there's also not a lot of aggression there. His usage rate is down to 16% this season. Uh, but to me, if a, a guy at his size to to become a real a, a real threat on the offensive end, that shot has got to come around. And I'm not suggesting that it's not possible, but signs are looking like that might not happen. Yeah. See, that's one of the fun things about scouting and, and trying to gauge how a particular skill set is going to translate to the next level. Um in that case, if we if we do buy that 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 final season of his in college was a legitimate development, the the issue is is he getting that shot off and creating that space um, quickly enough that it's going to translate against 
longer, faster, smarter, stronger, more experienced players on the next level. And, and, and that that's always a, a really difficult translation. And so far it hasn't worked. And, and the other aspect, of, particularly of shooting, um, a lot of it is confidence-based too. Yep. And so... I'm sure coming out of that that college season and coming into the draft and everything, he was probably feeling pretty good, pretty confident. And then you get on that NBA level, you go against those types of defenders that all of a sudden, like that space that you're normally used to getting is like, oh, that's that's way smaller than I'm used to. Um, and so you you start to like get in your head a little bit, or or the shots aren't falling the way you'd like to do to see them, and it can cause kind of a cyclical snake eating its own tail thing. Of you know, it hurts my confidence, which then makes me. It's, maybe I do have the space, but I hesitate. You know, or right. or, or I, I start to. Look at Josh Hart this this year with the Blazers basically just stopped taking threes, um, and it's not like he's incapable of it. So um, I, I agree with you. If he can do that, or or at the very least develop a really good floater game, like that could be enough to you know make him a viable threat within the offense for him to get more minutes to have that kind of point of attack uh, defense on the court for more uh, possessions. Yeah. And I always, uh, I always tell people that, you know, when it comes to small guards, sometimes it takes a little bit longer than, than some of these other positions. I always look to someone like Kemba Walker. It, mm-hmm. you know, he was a played in college, I believe all four years and then took him probably till his fourth or fifth season in the NBA to really become the Kemba Walker that we uh, we grew to know and love. Yep. But but yeah, you would like to start to see like yeah, just from watching them in in recent games of prior to the uh, to the All Star break, there are a lot of moments where he's dribbling and he has some space to fire it, but he's not even really considering it at that point, which is uh, not not the greatest sign. But let's move to uh, Keegan because he's yeah. I, I would say like if there's one guy on this roster that you would say okay he's got a chance to really blossom into something special and take a leap in the next couple of years it would be Keegan Murray and unlike Davion I feel like he's already got the the three point outside shooting thing down and for a guy of his size and athleticism that is the first step that you want him to take. And it's just a matter of, okay, what are my counters? You know, I, how can I pace myself to use my strength on drives and, um, you know, get into the paint and make plays for teammates. What that that's been the biggest, I think issue with Keegan is he's helped obviously with his shooting, but he hasn't really figured out ways to help with his passing or his playmaking. And, uh, but you know that's something that I think can can be learned with just more reps and time. Yeah, and to be fair to Keegan, most rookies don't help with those areas. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of a, a complex thing. And again, the the level of competition is is so high. Um, yeah, I'm not too worried about Keegan's development. I think he will get there. Um, I, I think he's already doing very well uh, as a rookie. Um, I, I also think that 
you know, prior to the start of the season, there was maybe some higher expectations in terms of like Keegan's presumptive role in the offense. Like he would be kind of the third option, which I think Herter is kind of clearly staked a claim to. Um, But I think that's good for Keegan's development. I, I think it's good that he's able to kind of learn, learn his spots uh, in his current setup uh, with this core. And, you know, um, maybe as Harrison Barnes uh, continues to age further, or if Harrison Barnes, you know, eventually leaves, that's going to open up some more touches and some more looks for him. Um, and, and I think he, he, I think you're right. I think he's the, the key, uh, in terms of whoever's currently on the roster who can help unlock another level for this team. And I think that can play out offensively. And I think if uh, Keegan continues to kind of pick up tips and tricks of, of the league that you kind of pick up over time uh, and become a more consistent defender and everything, I, I think he can help on that end too. I still don't really expect him to become a point of attack uh, you know, high level defender, but again, I'd be that surprised me, Keegan. I'd love that. Um, and I'm sure the Kings would absolutely love that. Um, but I, but I think those two guys that you mentioned are, are the key internal development guys. And then it'll depend on what they do in the draft and in free agency and see if they can kind of supplement this very, very good offense with a couple of good uh, defensive impact guys. Absolutely. And yeah, like, you know, I'm not putting it past the likes of De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis from taking some small steps forward in the next couple of years as well. I I think I I wouldn't expect a leap like Larry Markinen took in his year, like you know, (laughs) 25 season, because again, they're already all-stars. Um, but those two guys, um, you know, I think Darren Fox has kind of been up and down with his three point shooting. He's at 33% this year. Um, so that's another step. Like even if it's just a small step to 35, 36%, getting a little bit more volume, um, because his, the rest of his game Fox right now shooting 76% at the rim and 54% from the short mid range. So he's got that paint area on, uh, you know, on lockdown, but uh, yeah, just maybe making himself even a little bit more of a threat further out would open up that stuff even more. And then Sabonis, you know, he's, um, he's having the best short mid range season of his career at uh, 51% in the short mid range after being in the low forties with Indiana. So he's having a a monster season as well. Um, But you know, even just incremental progress with with the jump shot. We've we've seen a, a little bit of a step that this year with the free throw. He's shooting a career high seventy six point four percent from the free throw line. But yeah, when you get to the level that those guys are at, just small small improvements, even if it's just improving your strengths, uh, can make a difference. Yeah, and from the the defensive side of things, I if I were Mike Brown's staff, I'd actually be uh assigning Sabonis some footage of Luis Scola. Um I know that sounds weird because we're talking about defense here and I'm mentioning Sabonis and Scola and you automatically probably think, oh yeah, offensively I could see some some connections there. Uh but Scola was actually 
fantastic at verticality. He was not, you know, uh, the the same kind of thing we we talk about with Sabonis and and Jokic. He was not, you know, athletically a a, a defender that, that 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 would be feared. But um, again, you just have to get into that middle third defensively, and so maybe the the kind of additional boost could be just being more consistent in that verticality and even if you just nudge the the percentages down just you know 1 or 2% or something like that that might be enough to to you know bring that defense up to a point where combined with the offense they can be a real threat yeah, absolutely. And for Sabonis, a lot of the, you know, verticality and, and his defense, yeah, comes down to just little things. Like I said, like, you know, sometimes maybe not jumping on a pass yep. that you can't deflect so that you're a half step faster getting back to your man or just being a, a half a step closer on the strong side. So when a guy makes a drive and beats his man, you're there a split second sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, just little, little things like that. And for Fox, I think a lot of it, comes down to and and you could probably say this about the the Kings defense in general but being more consistent i think at times you see fox just being absolutely a lockdown seemingly all nba level defender uh, there were moments in that they they recently had a um a back to back against the Dallas Mavericks and in the first game of that they put up 45 points in the first quarter a game that Lucas sat but uh, Kyrie just picked him apart with his passing uh, but then in that second half, they actually made a game out of it. And Fox made it a point. I'm going to guard Kyrie and I'm going to lock this guy down. He had a nice block on him at one point. But yeah, just bringing that energy. I, I know it's difficult given his uh, you know usage and on offense, but bringing that effort more consistently for 48 minutes um, w- would help Fox, I think, take another step. And the Kings defense in general, um, you know, not having those quarters where you give up 45 if you're consistently in between that 25 to 35 range um the just from from watching them this season I feel like their best moments have been when uh, as a team has has been when they you know are forcing the issue they're dictating what the offense does they're they're denying the passing lanes they're making it tough for you to get into your sets Mm -hmm. uh, making the opposition uncomfortable as opposed to when they've been really struggling, it's kind of like, oh, you're going to double us. We're just going to make a quick pocket pass, cor- pass to the corner, wide open three. Um, there's there's just subtle differences that allow you as a defense to make the offense uncomfortable and do what you want them to do as opposed to vice versa. Yeah. It, you know, maybe what they can do to get that consistent defensive uh, fire from Fox is in every um, opponent preparation material that they provide Fox, they replace his man's face with Lonzo Ball's face. And then (laughs) then De'Aaron is just going to be like raring to go every single time. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Well, yeah, um, I wanted to talk a little bit just about what your – expectations were for the second half of this season and also some potential like you know as you were saying when they make the playoffs Uh what might uh be some uh some teams that you would be 
excited as a Kings fan to uh, to be going up against, and maybe maybe one or two that you would be extremely fearful of uh, of matching up with. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm Sacramento, uh, I want to make sure that I maintain that third spot. Because uh, if you're getting to the fourth and fifth spot, you might have to face a team like Phoenix or the Clippers uh, or, or potentially like Dallas. And those teams can, can in theory, stick with you. Like, I, I know the Clippers offense generally has been pretty bad, but... They still have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who in a playoff series can basically just boost their usage up <laughs> extremely high and just kind of run for for all intents and purposes very efficient ISO and post up uh, and like post up and pick and roll offense. Um, or you face like Phoenix, who has you know three of the greatest mid range shooters we've ever seen. Um, so even when you're forcing them into subpar looks, you're talking about like Kevin Durant probably is the greatest mid range shooter we've ever seen. Um, so I, I think they want to try to maintain that third spot, which could be difficult. They're, uh, they have the same number of wins as Phoenix, and, and uh, KD hasn't played yet for them. Um, but they, they're up to two losses ahead of, of Phoenix um, and three ahead of the Clippers and the, the Mavs. Uh, as well as the Pelicans, but I don't really expect the Pelicans with the Zion news to kind of jump up into that range. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're they're going to be happiest if they they come across the team that can't really defend the the Fox uh, Sabonis pick and roll. I, I imagine they actually wouldn't be that sad to meet Dallas in the playoffs. Like, obviously they don't have anybody to defend, you know, uh, Luca and Kyrie, but after trading Dorian Finney Smith, the, the Mavs don't really have anybody to defend either of those guys either. Um, so that, that's kind of a, a shootout that they could potentially win. Um, you could kind of hopefully bet on poor playoff health for the Pelicans, maybe, <laughs> um, and potentially that dysfunction in Minnesota might not be fully, you know, uh, the palate might not be fully cleansed come playoff time. So if they somehow wind up matched up against Minnesota, maybe you feel like we can maybe make that work. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think they would really want to avoid Phoenix, the Clippers, and Golden State in particular. Yeah. Um, those three teams, I, I think they would be most afraid of playing in the first round. Um, and I think that they'd probably be okay with Dallas and, and Minnesota. Yeah, I agree on on Dallas and Minnesota. And I think a, a big part of like, you know, what makes it a decent matchup for them on the defensive end is just not the opposition not having a short roll guy that's just got yep. to pick you apart. And that's where exactly. like DeAndre Ayton, his ability to just hit 90% of his open 15 footers is a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. they, you know, Chris Paul, I think, had 20 assists in their game um, <laughs> just before the all-star break because just making that pass. Oh, you're going to double me. I'll just hit DeAndre and he's going to nail that almost every time. Um, and then obviously with Golden State, Draymond Green runs a four on three better than 
basically anyone ever in NBA history, uh, other than Jokic, of course. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and and Jokic, another reason why you, you don't want to be facing Denver. I'm curious your thoughts of why you think the Clippers are a bad matchup, though. Is it no point of attack perimeter defenders and, and like? I I personally have never bought the or, or I've never drank the Kool-Aid on the Clippers um during this Paul George Kawhi stretch because they have consistently missed a lot of games and I know that the the caveat everyone always uses like if they're healthy going into the playoffs but given how the, their health has played out the past several seasons, I don't know if I think that's a high probability thing uh, that both Kawhi and Paul George will be healthy fully in the playoffs. But um, Kawhi, when healthy or, or even modestly healthy, is, you know, a technician offensively and Paul George can really, really heat it up himself. So the reason why I think they could potentially, I'm not worried about the Clippers offense. I'm worried about Kawhi and Paul George (laughs) specifically, which might be enough to take, you know, four games out of a seven game series against the, the um, Kings. Yeah. And well, and my thought as to why, like, Dallas would be an okay matchup is kind of how I the logic that I say that like the Clippers I'm not saying the Clippers are like a good matchup per se um I don't know if any of these teams for Sacramento is like a good yeah um it's just it's been 16 years like we'll we'll be happy just that they got into the playoffs Uh, I mean I I do think there's there's a possibility they could win a, a a first round series depending on matchups and health but Let's just first wipe out that 16 year, <laughs> you know, cobwebs. Let's clear those out and like just be happy that we're lighting the beam in the playoffs. Right. But yeah, like my thought was like, okay, with the Clippers, you know, Zubach being the role man with their starting lineups, I'm not like super concerned about that. I know Zubach can make a play. Um, but then like you, you talk about, Dallas like yeah if Christian Woods on the floor that's a problem but like I'm not really that concerned about Dwight Powell in -hmm. that situation um and then yeah same with like Rudy Gobert I'm not super concerned about that so that's why like I feel like defensively those teams are decent matchups but Mm -hmm. then yeah obviously the Clippers have the ability to go small and and have like a you know a a wing setting that screen and that causes uh, that could cause some issues but then you have Sabonis that can mash that player on the other end um the but then when when it comes to like Luca and Kyrie and and Kawhi and Paul George my kind of thought with the Kings is they don't have any elite defenders anyway so if you've (laughs) got these elite offensive guys that can score against even the best of defense then who cares? Like it's it's not actually that much worse. <laughs> you, you know that's a valid point. Uh, one of the one of my pet peeves when it comes to scouting, and and I, I get people like send me scouting reports frequently for feedback and stuff. And like one of my pet peeves is when people are like, "Yeah, he's a good defender, but he can't stop Kevin Durant." Who can? Like, this guy's not slowing down Luca. Who can? Why are we holding them to, like, this threshold of, like, yep, 
dude totally made like totally made Luca frustrated. Like, who, who does? Yeah. Like, oh, he could, he could slow LeBron. Age can't slow LeBron. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's always uh, yeah. I, I I've also always had the theory of like personally, I don't like the idea of double teaming unless that person is really bad at passing out of the double uh or if like their teammates are just completely non like like, non-threats um so like honestly if luca and Kyrie combine for 75 and you know like you still win 135 to 130 like cool (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah it's um I, I, there's a reason this Kings offense is number two in the NBA, so they can win shootouts. It's just a matter of like, yeah, just, you know, you're not giving up 2.5 points per possession on the other. Yes. End. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you've got to avoid. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating. I, I think we both agree that the Kings are, uh, are not only good again, but they're fun again, which is maybe yes. even more important. And, uh, yeah, I think we're both happy that the Kings fans, who are wonderful fans, uh, finally have something to cheer for. But yeah, was there anything else, Josh, you wanted to discuss about the Kings before we we uh, end this? Uh, I, I just want to say, and I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, the the worst thing you can be in the NBA is not bad. The worst thing you can be in the NBA is boring. Yeah. And, and because again, it's it's not just a basketball business, it's an entertainment business. And the Kings are no longer bad or boring. And that alone should be highly celebrated. Absolutely. Well, yeah, um before we wrap up here, uh, why don't you tell the people a little bit uh, about yourself and I know you've got the my basketball career, which is great. Uh yeah, um speak to that and let the people know what's going on. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm not a frequent presence on social media. Again, I have a three-month-old. Um, but you can find me at 2 Red J Earl on Twitter. Um, I'm mostly promoting good stuff that I see uh, and occasionally commenting and, you know, frequently needling our good friend Corbin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> rightfully so. Uh, but I'm also a basketball career development coach. So I help people who want to work in the basketball industry develop processes and approaches and strategies that'll help them specifically take the next step in their careers. If that's something you, any of you listeners are interested in, feel free to reach out to me uh, at, at Twitter, on LinkedIn, or um, you can go to yourhoopscareer.com and, and find out more information there. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Awesome. Well, yeah, it was, uh, it was a blast to finally get you on here after uh, listening to you on Corbin's Pods all these times. Thanks so much for, for taking the time. Yeah, thanks again for having me on here, and uh, I, I look forward to the continued development of the unholy big three, you, me, and Corbin, doing more fun uh, basketball content. Yeah, as soon as uh, as soon as soon Corbin's uh, car issues are behind him, we'll get, to, we'll get all three of us on a pod here soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. 
Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on uh, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Roundball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle. On on, once you click on my Twitter handle, uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Gary does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar.